Welcome to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small, your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Brought to you by LakeLink, your online fishing resource at lake-link.com. Outdoors Radio is also brought to you by the Wisconsin Hunter Education Program, dnr.wi.gov. By the Open Season Sportsman's Expo, March 25 through 27 at Kalahari Resort in Wisconsin Dells, openseasonsportsmansexpo.com. By Remy Battery, family owned and operated since 1931. Serving Milwaukee along with Escanaba and Houghton, Michigan. Let's start something. RemyBattery.com And by the Wisconsin Wildlife Federation. Grassroots, hunting, and angling conservationists dedicated to the future of fish, wildlife, clean water, and healthy habitat. WIWF.org I'm Dan Small. we got another great show for you this week, so stay right there. Well, it's time now for Madison Outdoors, and you hear this feature every week on WTSO, the Big 1070, on our podcast as well, on LakeLink or iHeartRadio, or wherever else you get your podcasts, because we're available on a lot of platforms. And joining us once again is pro angler Duffy Cup. Well, Duffy, uh, thanks for joining us. Haven't talked to you in a while. Oh, good to be with you again, Dan. So, I imagine ice fishing is kind of winding down, especially with that warm weather we had last week. Yeah, uh, uh, on some of the lakes, you know, you get the the big shacks off of there, and uh, boy, you got to look out for the shorelines in a lot of places. Yeah, uh, the guys guys that have that old piece of uh, four, four by eight plywood, you know, sometimes they're using those to go out there. But you really need to be especially careful. You get those heaves and everything, like on on uh, Lake Mendota. When it starts getting warm, and uh, of course, a few days ago we had that that big rain and the wind. Yeah, I gotta believe that that has uh, weakened the ice considerably. Uh huh. Well, are you seeing anybody out there or hearing anything? Uh, as I as I went over on the north side, I saw one small shack out there, and that was it. Uh huh. Uh, I don't I don't know if that north end is not productive this this time of year this year. But uh, there doesn't seem to be a heck of a lot of people out there. I think most people are pretty smart about what they're doing. Now, if you go and you take your time and you know what you're doing, you can go out there and catch some fish. Yeah. But if you're careless and not paying attention to what's going on around you and not paying attention to the ice, then you could be in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Especially this time of year. So. Yeah. Well, we hope people are cautious and uh, err on the side of uh, not not trying something foolish, especially if there's nobody else out there. Yeah. Well, you've got some events coming up uh, this Saturday, the 12th, when uh, most people are listening to this. You're going to be at Cabela's uh, in Sun Prairie, right? Yeah, they've got a, a, a traditional thing that uh, they do at uh, Bass Pro and, and Cabela's called the Spring Fishing Classic. And they've got some sale items and they've got special offers and uh if you get i mean most people in their sunday paper or whatever you're getting a getting a flyer and it will give you the the details on uh a lot of different products uh i will be there i'm paid to be there from pure fishing uh for those people that don't understand what pure fishing is it's a big corporate umbrella over 
companies that you do recognize, like Berkeley and Abu Garcia and Fenwick and Spiderwire and a whole bunch of other ones out there. And uh, hopefully it'll be a good time. And I, what I try to do when I work a, a store like this is try to educate people a little bit and uh, give them some tips, uh, just like I did at the, the Wisconsin Fishing Expo where a, you know, a 12-year-old kid comes in that's never used a bait caster before, and I, I give him a few tips on there to keep it so you don't get a bunch of overrun as soon as you start working with something like that. And the parents that are with the kid usually really appreciate that. So yeah, don't try to oversell, and you don't you don't need a a two hundred dollar reel when you're first starting out. No, absolutely not. You mentioned the uh, expo. How was that? That was last weekend. Uh, Dan Durbin and the boys did an excellent job, I think. Um, the attendance on Friday was different from most Fridays where you get a bunch of old guys walking around kicking tires. There were people coming in, serious fishermen, and, uh, you know, paying, you get what you pay for, and they were, they were paying for some really good stuff, and then Saturday and Sunday, the crowd changed because now you got a lot of kids coming in. Yeah. And uh, the number of combos and stuff that I sold for a wilderness fishing game was uh, just phenomenal, along with the, with the Fenwick rods went really well, too. Well, good. So they had a decent turnout, a good expo. Oh, yes. I think they're very, very pleased with it. I, I don't know. I haven't heard anything from Dan, but i got to believe that they had nothing else close to 20,000 people uh, come through that building on that weekend. Well, and that's pretty close to what they target. You know, 25 is the number I've heard over the years, but I'd take 20,000 during a pandemic. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, it was good, and uh, most people coming into the place had a smile on their face, uh, and it, it really was. You meet a lot of uh, interesting people what, what, when you do what I do, uh, even if they don't buy anything, it's it's kind of fun to talk to those people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so you're back at uh, Cabela's Bass Pro uh, next weekend, the 18th and 19th, same thing? Yes, same thing. I'll be there to do the same thing. Uh, I hope a, a good number of people will come through. There isn't anything more boring than not having anybody in the store on something like that, but... Uh, if you've got a need and you come in, there will be some people that will just come in just to kind of look around and see what's going on. That's okay, too. Uh, but if you have specific uh, equipment needs, uh, I, I certainly can help you out with a variety of different products that they have in stock there at Cabela's. Now, most people in the Madison area who are fishermen know who you are, but if people don't, where are you going to be and how are they going to identify you? Uh, I will have my, uh, my, uh, <laughs> personal, uh, billboard shirt on. Your NASCAR shirt, right? <laughs> yeah, my NASCAR shirt on, and, uh, right on the front it says Abu Garcia. Got my name in the back, uh, so they'll, if nothing else, uh, if you just want to say hi, just tap me on the shoulder. Yeah, okay, cool. And then coming up in April, I understand the Muskies Inc. chapter, the Capital City chapter, has an event. Yes, they do. They've got something. It's kind of a strange year because they had their fundraiser in December. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, not having the Muskie School, they they put down, they you know, they don't have that income coming from that Muskie School, which is considerable. So they wanted to 
put on another event to try and raise a little bit of money. Uh, that money all goes into uh, stocking muskies in the Madison Lakes and helping the DNR pay for the research on muskie that's going on on the Madison Lakes. So they're going to do that on uh, Saturday, April 2nd at Boulevard Lanes in Madison. And you've, there's three seminars that are going to come up, and three really good uh, seminar speakers. Uh, John Bett is going to be there. Jeff Hansen, of course, is a guide on the Madison Lakes. Mm -hmm. And then uh, a friend of mine, Kevin Pischke from Green Bay, is going to be there. And uh, Kevin Pischke has his lay-in-the-line lay guide service there, too. And John... That is from uh, Stealth Tackle. They make really, I mean, the stuff that I use that that they make is uh, their leaders are outstanding. Uh -huh. They have a whole bunch of other stuff related to muskie too. So that'd be interesting to talk to those guys. Let's see. Pisky's on at 9:30 in the morning. John Bett is on at 11 o'clock, and Jeff Hansen is on at 1 o'clock. The cost is $30 per person. Uh, if you're a non-member of the club, it's $40. Youth are $20. 12 and younger are free. And you can register online at capitalcitymuskiesinc.org. But even if you don't, if you, I, I don't know for sure, but I think if you just show up and you flash some money at them, I think they'll probably take it. I would think so. And uh, yeah. there's going to be some good raffles, too. Oh, good. Uh, some good high-quality equipment that they're going to raffle off. So it should be a good day and just another reason to uh, kind of get out and sit down and talk with people and not worried about wearing a mask. Yeah, excellent. So, well, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up there and um, hope that you have good turnout, both at your Cabela's and Bass Pro event this weekend and next and at the Muskies, Inc. event in April. So, uh, thanks so much for sharing that information with us, and we'll catch up with you again here soon. Uh, can't wait for open water, and I know you're kind of itching to do the same. Uh, certainly, I'm, I was thinking about maybe getting some dynamite and getting started ahead of time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no need to rush the season, Duffy. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks a lot. You bet. Thanks, Dan. You bet. Duffy, Duffy Cup with the... Madison Outdoors Report, and you hear this on Lake Link, iHeartRadio, and of course on WTSO, the Big 1070. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. If you're ever in a motor vehicle accident, call Hupie and Abraham, named Best Personal Injury Law Firm by the Wisconsin Law Journal year after year. The firm of Hupie and Abraham has collected more than a billion dollars for its clients. In fact, they collect millions of dollars every month for Hundreds of satisfied clients. So call the firm voted best and rated best, Hupie and Abraham, 800-800-5678, or visit Hupie.com. And all 11 offices of Hupie and Abraham are open for business. Well, joining me once again from his home in Wisconsin Rapids, Mr. Hardwater Jeff Kelm. Well, Jeff, there's still some hard water uh, around, or I'm hearing. Uh, what's it like by you? Oh, yeah, we're going to have some hard water for a while, although... The river is is open. The launches are open here uh, near Nakusa, Wisconsin Rapids area, and uh, there are guys out fishing. Oh, I'll bet. Um, so we, uh, you know, that it's going to be another strange year unless we get uh, you know big snowfall um, in the next uh, few weeks, I suppose, uh, because we just really haven't. We don't have a lot of melt 
that's going to come down the river yeah. and really raise the river level, level, which is what makes fishing on the river so good. Otherwise, you get kind of this trickle effect with these fish. But um, but there's guys on the river. They're enjoying it. I'm still on the hard water. Probably will be for the rest of this month. All right. Well, uh, good luck with that. And uh, how are the sales going for your uh, Mr. Hardwater Softbaits at uh, P3? I know I'm still number one. Really? I I, I know. Yes, I know I'm still Fantastic. number one. And that's that's my goal to end the season number one. Yeah. We'll try yeah. try next year then. Yeah. Well, we'll have to put I'm number one on your Facebook page. Or that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel Sports Show, as you know, is in full swing this weekend through Sunday. And uh, Lauren Voss, Brian Mookie, and my son John will be posting several reports every day on my Facebook page and sharing them on theirs as well and on the uh, Sentinel Journal Sentinel Sports Show Facebook page. Um, they're going to be talking with exhibitors and other folks at the show. So, folks, uh, be sure to check every day. Uh, my Facebook page, uh, Dan Small Outdoors, and uh, through Sunday, and, and just see what's going on at the sports show. But get down there. Get down there to the show yourself. You know, on a sad note, Jeff, I don't know if you knew this gentleman, but um, we lost another outdoor TV pioneer last week, Randy Gooden. He hosted and produced hmm. Outdoors with Randy Gooden back in the late 1970s and early 1980s. He passed away last Friday. He actually hosted the first outdoor TV show on commercial TV stations in Wisconsin a few years before we started Outdoor Wisconsin on Milwaukee PBS. But once that show got going, he discontinued his show because, as he told me, he felt he had accomplished what he had set out to do, get hunting and fishing uh, shows on mainstream TV. And, in fact, he featured some folks our listeners and viewers know well uh, people who later went on to have their own TV careers of, of uh, uh, in some in a big way. Joe Booker was one, Captain mm. Jack Remus, and our own Tom Newbauer, of course. So, uh, Randy, we miss you. Rest in peace, and uh, thanks for helping get outdoor TV started here in Wisconsin. That's great. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And you know, folks, you can make a difference for the future of hunting and fishing and healthy habitat for wildlife by joining the Wisconsin Wildlife Federation wiwf.org and adding your support to one of the most active and growing grassroots networks right here in Wisconsin. The Wildlife Federation welcomes individuals, businesses, clubs, and alliances who want to do what's right for fish, wildlife, and the people who rely on access to healthy natural resources. Join today at wiwf.org. Well, speaking of uh, Wisconsin Wildlife Federation, we'll be talking with Executive Director Mark LaBarbera about a new initiative that's looking at the impact of severe weather events on our outdoor activities like hunting and fishing and others. You know, Jeff, we've talked about floods now and then and uh, strange winter weather, and that's uh, mm -hmm. that's the thing that they're going to be addressing. We'll have regular mm -hmm. guests on the show with Mark kicking it off. We'll also talk with author David Galloway about his new book, Burning Ground, set in Yellowstone National Park. It's a fascinating read. I, uh, I spent two days a couple weekends ago and read the thing. And we'll talk with 12-time Wisconsin state champion turkey caller Jeff Frederick, who's got some advice for better turkey hunting success. All that and more straight ahead on Outdoors Radio. 
Attention future hunters. Hunting season for turkey, small game, and deer is right around the corner. Don't wait to think about hunter education. The time to enroll is now. The Wisconsin DNR offers several options to choose from, making it easier than ever to enroll. Just browse for upcoming youth or adult hunter education classes at gowild.wi.gov and join the ranks of today's hunter education graduates who are ensuring the safe future of our hunting heritage. Classes fill up quickly, so don't wait. Enroll today. A message from Wisconsin DNR. Here's a message from our friends at Remy Battery in Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. As Remy Battery enters the 90th anniversary of our company, we want to thank all of our customers and friends we have made over the years. Thank you for your continued support to our local, family-owned company. We invite you to our newly remodeled Milwaukee retail store on the corner of 43rd Street and Lincoln Avenue. We have batteries from the largest military crafts to the smallest hearing aids. Big and small, we have them all. Stop in for a free battery and electrical check before you hit the road, trails, or the waters. Don't forget to ask your sales representatives about volume pricing. Call Remy at 414-384-0340 or visit online at remybattery.com for all your battery and battery accessory needs. If your rifle, shotgun, handgun, or muzzleloader needs work this season, call Roger Williams at Northern Magnetic LLC. A licensed professional gunsmith for over 35 years, Roger can repair, customize, rebarrel, install sights and scope mounts, and more on all firearms, makes, and models. When you need a professional gunsmith, call Roger at 262-339-1798 or visit FixGuns.com. That's 262-339-1798 or FixGuns.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Thanks for joining us on Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. Hey, this year, 2022, is the 150th anniversary of the founding of what is the world's first national park. And, of course, that's Yellowstone National Park our first national park as well. It's one of America's most popular and most unusual parks, most iconic, lots of history, lots to offer visitors. And if you've never been there, man, I urge you to make this the year you spend some time exploring the trails, the hot springs, the geysers, the rivers, uh, the lake, and we'll talk a little bit about the lake, uh, and everything else Yellowstone has going for it. And joining us now to talk about Yellowstone and specifically his new book, which is an historical novel set in Yellowstone National Park, is David Galloway. He's the author of Burning Ground, and his website is dagalloway.com. Well, David, welcome to Outdoors Radio, to our network, and thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Dan. Well, I, as I told you in our email exchange, I read Burning Ground over the weekend, something I rarely do anymore. I just couldn't put it down. It was, it's, it's an amazing book. Well, thank you. Um, I'm uh, very gratified and humbled by the reader response. Um, and so I'm, uh, it's always glad, I'm always glad to hear the reader. Uh, there's a magic word for you, right? I couldn't put it down. That's, that's what every author would, would hope to hear. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, your attention to detail and your storytelling ability are just remarkable. And, and it just moves along. I guess 
it's what some people would call a page turner, but not just to get to the next page. I want to see, you know, what's going to happen next. And uh, I can understand why it was named Best Multicultural Fiction Book of of the Year last year by the American Book Fest. And this is your first novel, right? It, it is, Dan. It's, it's my first uh, foray into uh, the fiction realm. Actually, uh, three years ago, I published a nonfiction book, a business-related uh, leadership, safety leadership book, and that was well-received. But this is indeed the first, uh, my first attempt at uh, telling a, a fictional saga based on history. And you're not a young man, so why did you wait so long? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, life gets in the way. Yeah. Uh, as we all know, I, I, uh, well, I'll tell you the genesis of this, uh, that the, the idea for this story, uh, occurred, uh, decades ago, uh, Dan, when, when I was a young man in the late 70s, I was fortunate enough to be selected or, or I applied and I was able to, uh, go to the park and work for a summer as a tour guide on Yellowstone Lake. Can, can you imagine such a summer job for a young man? Uh, fantastic, yeah. We, most of us are flipping burgers or, or uh, uh, shoveling gravel in a, in a potholes or something, but yeah, so, and that's where it started for you. It, it is. My love of the land came from a, a, a nexus of a couple of different things. One is that wonderful experience where I was able to learn a little bit about the history because as a tour guide, so what I did was I drove a 45-passenger uh, boat, a tour boat. It was called the Lake Queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a one-hour tour uh, around Stevenson Island, which is a large island there on the north of Yellowstone Lake, and uh, and I, I gave commentary uh, about the history of not just the lake but the park itself, on that tour, and then on my days off, I uh, hitchhiked and back uh, did a lot of backcountry hiking uh, throughout the whole park, and that was my summer. Uh, it was it was just fabulous. Yeah, it it it, it sounds like it, and uh, I'm sure it was. Now, so so there's a little autobiography in this uh, novel as well that that goes beyond your connection with Yellowstone, right? Yes, that's right, Dan. Uh, so the other point that, that, that coincided with kind of this, this uh, germ of an idea that, that kind of was tucked in the back of my mind was I was, uh, when I was uh, uh, 16, I worked, uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania, in rural Pennsylvania, south central Pennsylvania, and in that area of the country there's a lot of uh, fruit growing, uh, and so I worked at an orchard, in a, in a fruit uh, growing uh, orchard, and there were uh, uh, a lot of uh, migrant workers who were there to uh, take care of the orchard, to uh, pick the fruit. And among the uh, Hispanic and uh, African-American uh, migrants who were working there, there was also one Indian, a Crow Indian named Redfield. And he took kind of took me under his wing that summer and uh, I spent a lot of time working with him uh, personally, and I found him to be soft-spoken but extremely wise, and he he introduced me to a little bit of the, the Crow culture, and I was fascinated by that. And little did I know, many years later, that I would use that knowledge and that understanding and that introduction to the Crow Indian culture 
and meld it into my own Yellowstone experience because the Crow Indians uh, were one of the tribes that used to call Yellowstone uh, part of their their land. That was home ground for them. In fact, they called it Burning Ground, didn't they, or the Burning Land or something? Yeah. Yes, that's right. In fact, uh, that's where the name for the novel came about, Burning Ground, because the crow referred to Yellowstone as the land of burning ground, uh-huh. uh, an apropos title for, as anyone who has been there, uh, from a distance, it surely looks like the ground's on fire. Yeah. Yeah, remarkable. Well, and Redfield is in the book, and uh, I, the young protagonist, uh, Graham Davidson, which is... Uh, Kind of a handy reversal of David uh, Galloway. <laughs> you know, I'm sure you thought about that yes, too. It is. Um, yes, it is. Uh, he's he's in the book. So without giving the whole story away, can you recap the story for us? It starts in 1971, and it goes to 1871 pretty quickly. Yes, it does. Actually, I, I set it up because, and the protagonist, I will tell you, I wrote, uh, there's a lot of David A. Galloway in the protagonist, Graham, not surprisingly. Mm-hmm. The things that happened to him were many of the things that happened to me in, in those, uh, those impressionable years. Uh, uh, and I talk about the contemporary, i.e. 70s when I was there in the park and what it looked and felt and like there. But then I used uh, what I'd learned from Redfield, the Crow Indian. The the Crow, uh, uh, many of the warriors, the young men, uh, really wanted to, to, to launch themselves into manhood. They would go on a vision quest, mm-hmm. and the vision quest where they would actually uh, fast for three or four days and go to a remote location and seek guidance uh, for their lives. I used that notion of a vision quest uh, at to, to place my protagonist uh, at a sacred site in Yellowstone, and there are a couple of those true sacred sites to the to the to the Kiowa, to the Crow, and other Indians. It's a place called Dragon's Mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he goes to that location, has a spiritual experience, and that is the mechanism by which I have him transported back in time 100 years. To 1871. Yeah, and then 1871, of course, was um, one of the years when the early exploration of the park took place, uh, leading up to the actual uh, recognition of Yellowstone as our first national park, which Congress did a year later. So um, what happens in the 1871 part of the book, then? Well, uh 1871, I chose 1871 because it was a seminal event for the park, in the park's history. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you introduced, uh, the, your segment today, Dan, uh, correctly, this is the sesquicentennial of the founding of the park in, in 1872. This is 150 years later. Well, in the year prior to that, in 1871, there was a, uh, a Congress-funded uh, scientific expedition led by a geologist by the name of Ferdinand Vandeveer Hayden, H-A-Y-D-E-N, and he led a group of about 40 scientists and explorers and photographers and painters and ornithologists and zoologists and all kinds of uh, a scientific expedition to explore this heretofore region that had only been... Uh, 
described by fur trappers and traders and mountaineers, but not very well known by by the Europeans, by white men, only by the only by the Native Americans. Mm-hmm. He led an expedition 38 days through that park, and really came back with the first concrete evidence and uh, of samples and paintings and photographs uh, that that the Congress, you can imagine, um, saw, seeing this said. We have to set this land aside. It is so extraordinary. Uh, that's what precipitated uh, Ulysses S. Grant as president signing into law on March 1st of, of 1872, the, land, the, the uh, first national park in the world. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, the protagonist, I'll just say, Ted, so the protagonist, Graham Davidson, is with the Hayden yeah. expedition as they go through the park. Right, right. Uh, David, we've got to take a break here. This is fascinating, but uh, will you bear with us uh, and, and uh, we'll continue the conversation? Absolutely, I'd love to. Folks, I'm talking with David Galloway. He's the author of Burning Ground. We'll have more of this conversation after this. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Listen to more Outdoors Radio online at dansmalloutdoors.com. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. Well, folks, I'm talking with David Galloway. He's the author of a novel... Burning Ground that is set in, uh, actually in two centuries, if you can believe it. 1971 is where it starts, and then time travel back a hundred years to 1871 to uh, just before when Yellowstone National Park was named a national park uh, the following year in 1872. And uh, we've been talking about his protagonist, a young man named Graham Davidson, who... Uh, through a mechanism we're not going to tell you about, because you've got to read the story and find out how it happened. He he wakes up um, in 1871, and he's in the middle of this Hayden expedition exploring what will become, a year later, uh, Yellowstone National Park. And David, um, gosh, uh, you've got real characters in there. I mean, real real people. Your, your uh, Graham Davidson is fictional, but Hayden is real, and... Uh, Lieutenant Doan and uh, uh, a bunch of other people are real. How did you blend that that fictional uh, story with uh, historic fact? Yes, in fact, uh, that's the thing that uh, uh, one of the things I'm most proud about in terms of how I constructed the story, Dan, is that my goal here was to uh, place. I wanted to make history interesting. You know, I don't. I don't know about you, but there. Sometimes uh, when we learn history, it can seem dry. It seems yeah. factual. It seems to dates and places and times. But I wanted the history to come alive, especially for a place that I love, like Yellowstone. And one of the ways that I think we could do that is I think we can be uh, true to the history of the events and the people of the time, yet put it in a story format. So I did, I will tell you, I spent as much time researching as I did writing the novel. Uh-huh. Uh, I really wanted uh, Graham to be there, and so everything in 1871, almost exclusively, 
uh, is reflected in real uh, historical events and people. In fact, the dates, the times, the people, the ages, the, everything there uh, was as near as I could uh, recreate it historically from actual diaries mm -hmm. uh, of, of the Hayden Expedition members, and I just simply placed my protagonist among those folks and imagined how they would interact. Yeah, and uh, it, it's seamless. I mean, it's amazing how... Uh, you know, fortunately, they all speak English, and uh, you don't really address the question of dialect, although there are some dialects in there, some southern uh, soldiers who have different uh, accents, but, you know, uh, you don't address the question of this guy from the 20th century, and now he's in the middle of the 19th, and they don't pick up that there's something strange about the way he talks. They, they thought he was strange... Uh, uh, in a, in a number of ways, he had a wristwatch and a few other things that he gradually revealed over the over the weeks that he was there. But uh, uh, you pulled it off, I guess is the way to put it. Uh, you got away with it with putting. Well, thank you. Putting thank him you. in. That was that, that was very that was very important to me. And I introduced. Uh, I really loved the, the fact that he introduced that he interacted with people like Thomas Moran. For those of you who don't know Thomas Moran, he. He is the famous painter that was with the Hayden Expedition. Many of the paintings that, uh, first paintings that came out of Yellowstone were his creation, mm -hmm. uh, were his, were, and, and William Henry Jackson produced the first black and white photographs of those geysers and thermal features. Uh, he later was, became well known as a photographer. Uh, it was, it was a joy imagining interacting with uh, men like that, and, and as well as some nefarious characters like Lieutenant Doan, who had a very dark past. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, now, there's a love interest in this story. No good novel uh, is complete without one, and it's a young Crow Indian woman he falls in love with. And again, we're not going to give too much away, but was she based on anyone in particular, or did you just think, you know, I need a an attractive young Indian gal here? The latter, man, yeah. obviously. Uh, uh, wh wh why, why, why wouldn't uh, Graham be deprived of having the opportunity to fall in love with a beautiful Crow Indian woman? Yeah, yeah exactly. Now, so, so she was fictional. However, however, the authentic part of it was, uh, for, for those history buffs, the Crow were allied with the U.S. government. Unlike most of the tribes in the region at that time, the Crow were uh, aligned with and often served as scouts for the cavalry. So it was not unheard of to have uh, Crow scouts. In matter of fact, years later, the Crow were uh, uh, recruited as scouts along with the Arikara, uh, uh when uh, at the Battle of Little Bighorn. Yes. Uh, so, so they were. So, so they were. It was very realistic to imagine. There were some crow guides among the, the Hayden group. Yes, yes. And, uh, again, we're not going to give this story away, but um, I, I think we can say this much. He does come home. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll say that anyway at the end, and we won't tell you how that happens. But uh, now um, I understand there's a sequel in the works. There is. Uh, upon finishing this, uh, my initial intentions were it was a standalone novel, uh, my my readers uh, <laughs> nudged me otherwise, and so now uh, I, in fact, am uh, halfway through writing the sequel. It's titled Fatal Ground, and it takes place 
in the years 1872 through series i mean you know you've got a you, you told me again off uh, off air that you're thinking of a trilogy so uh, uh it, it could That's be right a, i mean there will be a third book i've committed to at least three books in the uh, frontier time traveler series all taking place in the yellowstone region between 1871 and 1877 okay and i'm sure some of our listeners remember lonesome dove that was a mini series that uh i still got a, a vhs copy of it and watch it every once in a while um it's a great story, David. We could go on and on, but uh, I just can't. <laughs> so uh, I want to—I want to thank you so much for writing this wonderful book and for sharing uh, some uh, snippets from it uh, with our listeners. And I hope a lot of folks uh, get a copy and go to Yellowstone uh, this summer and, and visit the park if they've never done that. And uh, we will get a copy of Fatal Ground when that book is out. I'm sure I'm going to find that interesting as well. So thanks so much for talking with us. Dan, thanks for having me today. You bet. David Galloway is the author of Burning Ground. His website is dagalloway, G-A-L-L-O-W-A-Y dot com, D-A-Galloway dot com. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. The Open Season Sportsman's Expo is coming back to Wisconsin again this year. It'll be March 25th through the 27th at Kalahari Resort in Wisconsin Dells. And you can learn more online at OpenSeasonSportsmansExpo.com. And joining us now to talk about his seminar at this year's expo is gobbler geek Jeff Frederick. Well, Jeff owns... Hi, Dan. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Good to talk to you. <laughs> Jeff is uh, the owner of Champion's Choice Turkey Calls, and it's a great name for his uh, company because he retired from competition after winning the state turkey calling championship 12 times. I don't think anybody else has done that. And in addition to his calls, he makes realistic decoys using actual turkey feathers, and he does some unique artwork with uh, turkey feathers, and now rooster feathers, chicken roosters as well. We'll talk a little bit about that. His website, right, <laughs> his website, and guess where he gets his roosters, folks? Yeah, yeah I wonder. <laughs> and his website is Frederick's, FrederickChampionsChoice.com, and Frederick, F-R-E-D-R-I-C-K, there's no extra E in there, FrederickChampionsChoice.com. And you'll find links to his 
Facebook page and he's got YouTube videos. He's just a busy guy and most of it's related to turkeys. Well, Jeff, thanks for joining us again. Good to talk to you. Yeah, great to talk to you, Dan. So you're going to have your calls and decoys and art at the expo, right? Yes. Yep, I've got a booth there. Um, and, yeah, it's uh, the feather art is really becoming popular. Uh, so I'll have a good display of that type of uh, artwork that I do there. And uh, more and more people across the state and, and even the nation are having me uh, turn their trophies, their turkeys, into, you know, really unique, cool wall art. Yeah, I mean, you can only have so many tail fans on the wall or, you know, one full-bodied turkey mount, and that pretty much fills a room. Yeah. But uh, art, flat art against the wall, uh, boy, there's a lot of room for that. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> and now now you, uh, you've launched into chicken art because... Uh, uh, you eyeballed a couple of my roosters and said, oh, I can make some pretty pictures out of that or pretty art out of that, and you did. Yes, I did, and uh, I've had quite a few people comment who, who've seen them, and, and you know, it, it looks like it's a tropical, you know, the the iridescent, really neat birds from the tropics. Sure. And... Uh, yeah, it's it's one of Dan Small's chickens, and I believe uh, did he taste pretty good? He was all right. He was a little okay. he was a little older than I like to butcher him, but um, <laughs> for you, Jeff, I let him mature so that he had good feathers. <clears throat> that's that's right. Well, the maybe the table fare was slightly below average, but the feather art is way above average. Well, there you go. Well, folks, you can see that feather art, including. Uh, some made uh, from one of my roosters at Jeff's booth. But listen, you're doing <clears throat> seminars on uh, aggressive calling. Uh, so yeah. let's talk about that <clears throat> a little bit. Yep. So, you know, my plan is is I, I will lay out to the people who come to my seminars, I will explain exactly what to do to become an aggressive turkey caller and have more success in doing so. I will reveal my secrets. Okay. How I make it work. <laughs> All right. Well, and I've hunted with you, and I, I've seen your aggressive calling style. Most people uh, do less calling rather than more, but uh, that's not your style, is it? Well, you know, it it can come in spurts. Um, but, uh, yeah, if, if you want to increase your odds, it sure doesn't hurt to uh, pretend you're a couple of real hen turkeys walking around without a gobbler. Uh-huh. <laughs> and is it a question of being louder or uh, trying to be multiple birds or what? Uh, no, it's it's more of a, we don't want to give away too much, Dan, but okay. it's more okay. of a element of variety. Uh. Variety is the key. Okay. So sometimes you're going to call loud, sometimes you're going to call quiet, sometimes you're going to call intense, sometimes you're going to call less intense. It's it's the recipe uh, for success, and and it entails a lot of variety in your calling. Uh huh. Now, do you? Uh, some people use the term taking a gobbler's temperature and uh, calling accordingly. Do you kind of read his uh, vocalizations and figure, okay, this guy wants it loud or he's you know i need to be quieter with him no not at all oh. 
Okay, well, good. So throw that out the window. Well, I treat them all the same. Okay. Yep, yep, I treat them all the same. And then, like I said, my seminar, I really go into the details of how to, how to turn uh, your practice into success. Uh-huh, okay. And multiple calls, uh, different different calls, mouth call, friction call, and so on, or? Well, I'm gonna I because you, I'm a you're the mouth uh, call guy. Mouth call fanatic. Yeah. I definitely um, do a lot. I focus a lot on the mouth call, and then also better ways to use a mouth call. And you know, I can I have methods where where I can help anybody at any level make slight improvements or tweaks or gain some uh, confidence with their calling. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, are you doing one seminar a day? I believe I'm doing one Friday to Saturday and one Sunday. Wow. Okay. So four opportunities to catch your seminar. Busy guy, yes. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we'll let you go since I know you're not going to give me any more secrets. I, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so. you got to come to the seminar. There you go. <laughs> Well, Jeff, thanks so much. I know you've got a show in Minnesota this weekend, and yeah. uh, and then next, uh, very soon thereafter, you'll be in the Dells for the Open Season Expo. So good luck, safe travels, and I uh, hope folks come to check out your art, your decoys, your calls, and your seminars. Thank you, Dan. You bet. Jeff Frederick of FrederickChampionsChoice.com. Uh, Champions Choice Turkey Calls is his business. You can find him on YouTube on the Internet and on Facebook as well. And he will be doing his seminars and showing all of his wares at the Open Season Sportsman's Expo at Kalahari Resort in the Dells, March 25th through the 27th, coming up real soon. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Attention future hunters, hunting season for turkey, small game, and deer is right around the corner. Don't wait to think about hunter education. The time to enroll is now. The Wisconsin DNR offers several options to choose from, making it easier than ever to enroll. Just browse for upcoming youth or adult hunter education classes at gowild.wi.gov and join the ranks of today's hunter education graduates who are ensuring the safe future of our hunting heritage. Classes fill up quickly, so don't wait. Enroll today. A message from Wisconsin DNR. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. The Wisconsin Wildlife Federation is a group of grassroots conservation organizations and individuals dedicated to the future of fish, wildlife, clean water, and healthy habitat. Their website is WIWF.org. And joining us now to talk about a new Wildlife Federation initiative is Wisconsin Wildlife Federation Executive Director Mark LaBarber. Mark, thanks for joining us. 
Thanks, Dan. Glad to be on. Well, you're a busy guy this week. You've got three Touch of the Wild trailers at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel Sports Show, and uh, I hope folks will take the time to walk through those displays, and you've got a gun raffle going, too. Yeah, the Wildlife Federation has a raffle that raises money to support our conservation, legislative, and uh, education efforts. Uh huh. Wonderful. Well, folks, if you have not ever visited one of those trailers, uh, here's your chance to see three of them with a wide variety of wildlife uh, at the sports show. And in fact, we'll be talking to Mark uh, live from the sports show on Facebook if we can make that work. That's all in the works for this this uh, coming up this week. Well, Mark, uh, the Federation, the Wisconsin Wildlife Federation, just launched a new initiative. Can you tell us about it? Sure. The initiative is simple, but important. We're reaching out to members and affiliates and to your listeners to ask them to share their stories about how the extreme weather events lately are affecting their hunting, fishing, and other outdoor recreation. We're looking for real-life stories, you know, from our kindred outdoor enthusiasts right here in Wisconsin who are seeing changes, good or bad, due to floods, drought, wildfires, or other weather-related causes. Uh-huh. Uh, have you got some examples you can share with us? Uh, sure. Uh, you know my cousin Patrick up in Jackson County, right? Yep, I do. He said he's having difficulty recruiting new hunters. He likes to mentor, you know, for deer and turkey. Mm-hmm. They say, they tell him... They don't want to spend much time in the woods because there are more wood ticks now due to milder winters. Huh. And, and and other folks, another couple examples, tell us about duck sloughs that are dried up, some of their favorite potholes. Or if you're like the Wildlife Federation's Justin Lorkey and you're dealing with dramatic changes in water levels flowing in or out of Lake Winnebago system, you know, I want to know how we can reduce the impacts for anglers and boaters as well as waterfowl hunters. In fact, um, another example, I was just talking to Art and Michelle Helen, who you know, from yeah. Dodgeville. Yeah. They're snow goose hunting in southern Iowa with my neighbor from here in Lafayette County, Eric Molson, and they said a tornado came through last week. You know, this is the beginning of March. And when Art and Michelle were doing seminars at the sports show in Des Moines, uh-huh. I think they said seven people died in Iowa from the tornado, but they also said hundreds or, or maybe it was thousands of snow geese died from the golf ball-sized hail <clears throat> that also came through. Wow. That's a lot of dead geese. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, speaking of, um, yeah, I heard about that Iowa storm. Um, speaking of unusual storms, uh, you know my son John. Well, he and uh, his fiance Sally Ann, were skiing up uh, in uh, the UP earlier this week, and uh, on the weekend, I think it was Saturday or Sunday, they had a freak ice storm there that coated all the trees, and you know what an ice storm can do. We've all lived through them. And the, the fellow who does the grooming for this uh, resort said he has never seen that in 50 years um, up there in the UP. So... Yeah, there's definitely some unusual weather um, having effects on, on what we do outdoors. So, um, yeah. I, go ahead. Well, I, I, you're right. And it, it's the kind of thing that makes you think about what's really going on in the big picture. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when in the past, when someone would talk to me about global warming or climate change, my eyes would roll over. You know? yeah. yeah. It's like, talk to me about what's really happening right here in our own backyard give me some real life examples or 
some statistics. And I know nowadays it's hard to get people to agree on basic facts, but I came across one the other day from our friends at the Energy Foundation who said that in the last 10 years, Wisconsin experienced 16 extreme weather events that cost more than $10 billion in damages. Wow. So, yeah. you know, what can we do to, to reduce that kind of impact that affects us uh, in our daily lives? Uh-huh. Well, we've and had we've had them cumulative right, effect. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've had them right here in our little valley, and you know, I've got this very docile creek that flows at the base of the big hill, and then there's our pasture and our gardens, uh, and you know, if the if if the creek gets full of water, which it has done several times in the less than ten years we've been here, uh, it can't go up the hill, so it's going to come. Out and wash out gardens, wash out pasture, take out fences. I've, I've had to repair my fences four times since uh, 2016 when they permanent, the so-called permanent fence was put in. So, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Well, And as part of the program, for the next few months, we're going to be talking with folks who have stories like this to tell. Uh, and I, I think you and I have agreed we're also looking for some stories that might make sense to uh, feature on Deer Hunt Wisconsin, our annual TV special next fall. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing what grassroots hunters and anglers, not just our members, but your listeners and others have to share. And if you you don't mind, I'd like to just give them a place where they could email um, their story ideas or some of their own tales of what they're facing in their own part of Wisconsin. Yeah, please do, because I was going to ask, how can listeners uh, share their stories? They can just send it to W-I-S-C-I-M-A-G at peoplepc.com, WISC image without the E, at peoplepc.com, W-I-S-C-I-M-A-G at peoplepc.com. Okay, so you're looking for stories of true life experiences, uh, good or bad, that might have been caused by the severe weather events that we've all been witnessing or hearing about in the last couple of years. Yeah, we really want to know what they're seeing on the ground in their favorite places to hunt and fish and recreate when it comes to things like flooding, drought, changes in weather, wildfires, or other things that they're experiencing. And um, we'd like to share those stories. Okay. Well, folks, we will be doing exactly that now for the next uh, three months, actually. So if you have a story you want to share, uh, send it to this email address, W-I-S-C-I-M-A-G at peoplepc.com. And we will uh, get in touch with you and uh, see if your story is one we want to feature on radio or on our TV show. Well, Mark, uh, we've got to let you go. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing the info on this new initiative, and I'm looking forward to telling these stories over the next uh, several months. Thank you, Dan. You bet. Mark LaBarbera is the executive director of the Wisconsin Wildlife Federation. Their website is org, and they are all about conservation. You can Check them out, join the organization, and don't forget, send us any stories you've got about the kinds of impacts we're talking about to WISCIMAG at peoplepc.com. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. 
Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. The Midwest's largest fishing website, lake-link.com, is your online fishing resource. 90% of Lake Link's features are yours to use free of charge. And members get access to Lake Link's online lake map library, lets you get GPS coordinates of any spot on the lake, and export waypoints to your onboard electronics. Members also get free outdoor classified ads, discounts on online store merchandise, and a whole lot more. You can also listen to Outdoors Radio 24-7 on Lake Link. Listen to this week's show... Catch any of our past shows, subscribe to our podcast, or even sign up for our weekly e-newsletter so you'll know in advance what's coming up right here. Just type in the keyword radio. See what you've been missing. Log on to lake-link.com today. That's lake-link.com. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Thanks for joining us again this week on Outdoors Radio. I'm Jeff Kelm. We're brought to you by Cedar Lake Sales and Highway 33 West in West Bend on the web at cedarlakesales.com. Uh, they've got plenty of boats ready to go, more on the way as well. So if you're looking for that boat for the summer, they got it for you. Hope you uh, can join them. Uh, April 9th, they've got a launch into summer event that you can check out with seminars and giveaways. Check out their website and Facebook page for more details. Uh, we're also brought to you by Remy Battery, family-owned and operated since 1931, serving Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. Let's start something. RemyBattery.com. By the Wisconsin Hunter Education Program with the Wisconsin DNR, dnr.wi.gov, Hunt Safe Wisconsin, and by the uh, by the Open Season Sportsman's Expo, March 25th through the 27th at Kalahari Resort in the Dells, OpenSeasonSportsman'sExpo.com, and by the Wisconsin Wildlife Federation, Grassroots Hunting and Angling Conservationists, Dedicated to the future of fish, wildlife, clean water, and healthy habitat. WIWF.org. Yeah, that's a mouthful. We have a lot of title sponsors right now, and that's great. Uh, all good organizations and causes, for sure. Well, folks, if you happen to miss an episode of Outdoor Wisconsin, our TV show, you can watch any show from the past several seasons at MilwaukeePBS.org. And Deer Hunt Wisconsin from last year and previous years is available on our Deer Hunt Wisconsin YouTube channel. Missed anything on today's show, uh, radio show, you can listen to it online all the time. Go to lake-link.com, go to uh, Outdoors Radio and um, uh, the Outdoor Radio tab, and you can download this show uh, or past shows up to uh, up from uh, about a year ago. And then uh, take us with you wherever you go throughout the week. You can follow Dan on social media at Dan Small Outdoors and follow me at Hardwater Jeff. Our theme music is by Warren Nelson. You can hear more of his tunes at warrennelson.com. Uh, don't forget the Conservation Congress hearings are coming up April 11th. We'll have more on that in the weeks to come. And online hunter education option for students under 18 will end at midnight on the 20th of March. So after that, you'll have to, young younger people will have to take an in-person hunter education course, which I think is a great idea anyway. So, well... If you have items for the calendar, send us an email, dso radio 
at gmail.com. I'm Dan Small here with Jeff Kelm. Get down to the sports show and check out our reports from the sports show on my Facebook page. And get outside this weekend and be sure to join us again next week for Outdoors Radio. Too lazy to lure. When the world